Hello, this is Gideon Rothstein, and this is Perak Chafbet, chapter 22, of Sefer Mishlei, of the book of Proverbs. We're going to study this chapter with the commentary of Rabbi Yonah, as in other Prakim, I'm going to emphasize some Sukim more than others, especially the first uh, several, because they deal directly with many deep character issues that are worth uh, considering, especially at the very beginning, Rabbi Yonah's view of money, which we've seen before in wealth, so Pazak Aleph says, Nifchar Shem Me'usherav Mikesef Umizahav Chento. The JPS has it as repute. Shame, uh, a name, a reputation is preferable to great wealth. Grace is better than silver and gold, that you treat people gracefully and you act gracefully. So Rabbi Yonah notes that earlier chapter, we had spoken about the idea that wisdom and, and courage or wisdom and strength can't necessarily or can't often uh, avoid Evil decrees that come from Hashem. So now it tells you that Osher, wealth, also cannot do such a thing. So that's a relatively minimal expression. But then he goes on to say that uh, wisdom is a an a- attribute of the soul. It is a greatness of the soul. It is an improvement of the soul. And Gvura, strength, is an improvement of the body, of the physical body. And both of those are sort of part of you in some way, meaning if somebody becomes stronger, they work out as it were, or if they become wiser by learning the ways of wisdom and devoting themselves to the ways of wisdom, they've changed themselves, and that and that achievement it resides in them. Whereas when it comes to wealth, it is completely external to oneself. Um, and so we've seen, he says, a pasuk in that the wise man shouldn't be proud of, proud of his wisdom, and it goes there, and as with Ayitalel Ashir Ashro, that the wealthy person shouldn't be proud of his wealth. Which, uh, and therefore here it's saying that nothing's gonna, all the things help you more than wisdom, within wealth when it comes to trying to avoid Hashem's Xerot, uh, even though it's wealth that gets you in this world, uh, the greatest honor. The reason I stress all of this expression of Rinyon is that it comes almost directly from, uh, from the Rambam at the end of the Morin of Uchim in chapter 54 of the third part of Morin of Uchim, the Rambam says almost exactly this. And what's interesting about that is, if you know Rabbi Yonah at all, is that he was one of the early combatant, combatants, combatants of the Rambam's ideas, one of the early leery ones of the Rambam's ideas. And yet, through his writings, you see that his interaction, his engagement with the Rambam, it could be that it's all after this controversy, but it became deep. And while he didn't accept everything, and he sometimes rejected some ideas, there are many, many of the Rambam's ideas that in fact worked their way into Rabbi Yonah's writings where he just accepts them. And he doesn't always quote the Rambam, but he accepts them and he uh, apparently enjoys them. That's true in the commentary on Avot as well. It uh, was once a theme that I thought about writing about for uh, an academic PhD dissertation, but I never did, but it is an idea that comes up right here. The Rabbi Yonah is adopting this uh, typology of the Rambam's, that wisdom is inherent to the soul, uh, and therefore when you improve wi- wisdom, you improve yourself in a more inherent way than you do with strength. But strength, is at least, is a bodily characteristic, so therefore you are improving yourself if you increase your strength. But with wealth, you're not even improving yourself at all. It's completely external to you. A rich man and a poor man meet. The Lord made them both. So here's Rabbi Yon again, and this is a financial a view of finances that we so completely don't accept today. I think that we don't even need to say that Rabbi Yon thinks of it in the harshest, in the starkest terms that he might say it, in order for it to be a corrective to our view of wealth. Rabbi Yon says that wealth doesn't come from your own strength and wisdom. And so you might say, but it does, because I worked really hard and I had this great idea, and I did this, and poverty doesn't come from 
from the fact that this person is a lowly person or he has a, a lack in his intelligence. So we could argue about this or we could nuance this and we could say that it doesn't mean that he, he may invent it completely. We may not necessarily see it completely or he may not invent it completely. He may invent that there's an element of Shechazar HaGalgal, that the world works this way, that Hashem lets the world of fate in some cases work its way out. But that would mean then, even in the nuanced version, that a rich person shouldn't feel about himself that he has anything special over a poor person. Although, of course, that is the way of the world. Poor people feel downtrodden and rich people feel great because they feel, oh, we're the ones who give the money, who support this, who support that, which is a nice thing, but it should not be seen as a reason for gava, and therefore the ashir shouldn't praise himself, see himself as any greater than the rash, um, and don't think that uh, Hashem didn't decree it. That's Kiyosei Kulam Hashem. That's what's telling you that all of the reasons for all these things happening come from Hashem. So that I, at the very least, I think Rabbi Yonah would say, even if I want to minimize what he's saying, he may have meant it exactly the way he said it, which means you have to wonder what he means because because it does take extra work to get wealthy in general. Uh, there are some people for whom the Gzira of Hashem just drops wealth in their lap, but many people have worked hard to achieve their wealth. So I don't know what Rabbi Yonah would say about that. It might be that he would say it's all a mirage, I think that would be an extreme reading of Rabin Yonah, but even in not an extreme reading, it would mean that even if it's true that I applied my intelligence and my efforts and my skills to amass money, and then Hashem blessed me with that money. So you have two people, Wall Street's probably a dirty word by the time you hear this uh, tape, but if you have two people, one goes to Wall Street and makes uh, $200,000 a year or $300,000 a year, another one makes $20 million a year. There's some element of effort there, but I think Rabbi is trying to point out, but there's also a very large element of Hashem and fate and uh, Hashem deciding who should get what, and therefore one should always see their wealth and other blessings in their life as coming from Hashem and use them appropriately to the best of one's extent rather than seeing them as a source of pride and, oh, I am clearly better and more important than this poor person. And the same with the poor person. It, there are some poor people who probably do not try as much as they should, but there are many poor people who are making every effort and life just doesn't work out for them. And therefore, when we look at a poor person, a Rebellion is saying, we shouldn't say to ourselves, oh, that person is lesser than me because he's poor. The wheel of fortune, Hashem's Xerah, has led that person to poverty, and we should have compassion for that and be thankful that we are not faced with the challenges of poverty because they are often much more significant than the challenges of wealth, although the challenges of wealth to a religious person are also deep in terms of just avoiding uh, the kind of ga'ava, the kind of arrogance, the kind of conceit, and the kind of disconnection from Hashem and understanding where the wealth came from that is so typical and so dangerous for the wealthy person. Pasuk Gimel. Arom ra'a ra'a vayas vinistar uftayim arvu vinenashu. That the clever person, the wise person, the shrewd man sees trouble and takes cover. The simple keep going and then they pay the penalty. That's what the JPS has it as. Rayona is not going to read it in terms of just ordinary wisdom. Uh, he says that revach v'hatzala, avoidance and salvation from times of trouble, come from wisdom more than they come from strength and and from strength and or wealth, another reason to pursue straight, uh, wisdom rather than strength or wealth. Because even though it can't completely save you, as he said earlier, so came earlier verses, but it will keep you from deserving punishment in a time of trouble. So at least it will save you in that sense. Uh, because you'll keep yourself from doing the wrong thing. Now the phrase that he uses for doing the wrong thing is, that you won't try to press the hour and and Ptayim, like Chazal say, he quotes a Chazal who say, If you push the hour, the hour pushes 
you. So here he does seem to be saying, he does seem to be understanding that there's an order to the way the world is supposed to work. There's a gzera, there, and you're not supposed to push that, and if you do, you might end up being punished. Again, I, it, I, 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 I'm sort of trying to reread him because I don't fully understand it, because I do understand it to be, and I think he understood it to be, that there is, and we're going to see, there is an element of zrizut in our lives, there is an element of trying ourselves to get things done. There are many um, important activities that were done by people in Tanakh, by people in the Gemara, that were matters of self-initiative. So it's not always clear that you know that you're being dochik So I'm not sure which realms he would define this in, and I think it's a complicated concept. But I think what he's saying is, at the very least, I guess we do need to know, is that if it becomes that you can't imagine that what you're doing is, Hashem said the world will go this way, and you're going to find a way to make the world go a different way. So dochik is when you think you can do other than what Hashem wants. You think that you know, Hashem wants you to be poor, you think you can make yourself rich. So if Hashem wants you to be poor for some reason, that's the challenge Hashem is giving you. Hashem wants you to be rich. I don't think that you can always think that you can be dochik adashat. So therefore the path to take is the path of wisdom and of doing what's right and doing what's appropriate and always finding the way to do that. And then and so and then within that I think that there might be an ability to be dochik adashat. Take a simple example. I'm not sure that Yona would have said, oh, you can't make aliyah until Mashiach comes. That's what it sound, almost sounds like. It would sound like a satmer position on that issue. And I, I find it hard to believe that's what he meant just because of the way he lived his life and because of, of factors about his biography. I think what he meant was that if you knew that Hashem didn't want you to be in Eretz Yisrael, then you'd be being dochik adashat. So, The effect of humility is the fear of the Lord, wealth, honor, and life. So even more than chokhmah, right, and wealth, even more than wisdom, which is the highest of them. So far we had wisdom, strength, and wealth. And wealth wasn't even a personal perfection, and strength was only a physical perfection, and wisdom was a was a was a soul perfection, and it might teach you to avoid um, certain wrongs of activity. But modesty, humility, anava is even uh, greater than those because that will bring you to your Hashem. Everybody, and we'll say later in the parak that your Hashem, the fear of God, the awareness of God, the attempt to uh, do exactly what God wants, is really the highest level of what mitzvot are all about. So that's what Anava. Anava takes you to that, but it also takes you, he says, to success in this world. And that's what the end of the Pasuk means when it says um, that it gives you wealth, honor, and life. The problem is how does he understand that it gives you wealth, honor, and life? And so, Because unless he's going to say, when you're in Anava, Hashem will change the Gzirah for you and get you wealth, honor, and life. But he doesn't say that. So he says, maybe Osher, wealth, will mean that you'll be Sameach Bechilko. You'll be accepting of your lot in life, and therefore, you will have the wealth, and that's based on the Mishnah and Avot, implicitly based on the Mishnah and Avot that says, Eiz Washir, Hasameach who is truly wealthy, he who is happy in his lot. But it's a shift until now. He's read the word Osher literally as wealth, and now he turns to this, um, and then Vachina Chayim, and so too with the fact of life, he says, because you won't be worried if you have anava to make sure that you need the best car, you need this, or you need that, and therefore you won't, and you won't complain, and you won't be sad, you won't be upset, and that will lead to you having a longer life because you won't have the stress, you won't have the upset. So those are the ways in which he thinks that anava might actually lead to a better life, a richer and better life. So tzinim pachim, the literal translation is thorns and snares are in the path of the crooked. He values his life will keep far from them. Um, 
and Sorbini, when it says that many times or sometimes people uh, abandon the derech hayishara, they they leave the path of integrity and of proper action. And they think what they're doing is that they're going to shorten the, the path. They're going to find a shortcut to wealth or wisdom or whatever it is. And what they'll find instead is um, they will find things in their way. So a Shemir Nafshar, somebody who cares about their soul and guarding it will go in the straight, honest, integrity way, even if it seems a little longer. And that and so then he says that Yirat Hashem, fear of God, comes from modesty. And therefore, if you seek honor and wealth, and you're thinking that you're going to get that way, and therefore it's going to get you closer to Hashem faster, but in those ways, what you're going to find instead is damage to yourself in this world and in the world to come. So you can't, that's an example of being Dukhika Hashem. You can't, it's not that you can't try. So you can't try in the wrong ways. You have to try in the right ways and then see what works out. So if somebody says, well, I'm going to cut corners, I'm going to cheat people for a little while, then I'll get really wealthy. Then I'll be able to take money in honest ways and then I'll give tzedakah, for example. right? Or I, I'll cut this corner or that corner. So you're saying, no, you can't cut corners and it's the cutting of corners that's the problem and the impression that you can get around Hashem Zerah. So if you, I think he would say, if you go to work and you work at a job and you work assiduously and you learn Torah and you do mitzvahs and you get stuck all along when you're acting in the right way and great wealth comes to you then you were blessed by Hashem but if you try to cheat or steal or lie or cut corners or not learn or not do mitzvahs because you're going to be involved in pushing and changing the gzera, that's already a function of you seeing yourself as being independent of Hashem gzera. so I think you, I think therefore we can argue I would argue that what he means is that what our job is, is to try as hard as we can to see where we can make positive contributions to the world and do it in all the positive kinds of ways and then understand that there will be a huge element of this that will be zera. So if I'm a doctor, I could try to set up a huge business in medicine and then not give people the proper care because I'm just focused on making the money and I go around and I do this, I do that, and that'll be a problem. On the other hand, it may be that I'd be a doctor and I'd make a huge amount of money by being an honest and sincere and good doctor. And I think that that Rabinion is saying that I made my efforts and Hashem helped me out and the Xerah was good for me in that situation. Okay. This is the last thing I'm going to focus on at least for a little while uh, greatly. But it's a very famous pasuk, train all that in the way he ought to go. He will not swerve from it even in old age, right? So many people quote this in terms of Alpidarko in the way that will stick with him, in the way that he'll accept. So it, it talks about education not being a one-size-fit-all kind of endeavor, which may be true, but you're going to focus on the fact that it says you should do it when they're young, and it's talking about character. You should make sure to train character when they're, when people are young because... When they're young, they're more malleable. And therefore, first of all, they're more malleable, and he says you should start with things that are closer to their nature. So every kid is born with a certain nature, and then what we want to do is, this is a mistake that people make. Some people think that we don't have a nature when we're born, and we should just make people into whatever they should be. So every single person should be Moshe Rabbeinu. But others, and others think of the other extreme. Others think that we're, we're whoever we are naturally is who we should be in life. And the answer is, at least Judaism thinks the answer is clearly in between, that we are born with a certain nature, and based on that nature, we should build and improve. So that's what Yonah is saying. First step is, it doesn't mean in the way that he'll accept, it means based on the way that he's that he is naturally, or she is naturally. You want to take those qualities, and then work on shaping them and improving them. And then you go from path to path, and then slowly you go to other issues that are even harder. So let's say, uh, one child is born with a natural tendency towards a smooth, placid temperament, 
but they tend to care a lot about honor. And a kid like that, those are the issues that you'd work on first and work on. So you'd work on building up the smoothness and the placidity and foster that and foster an understanding that that comes out better for everybody in society if you work on that. So even where they think they want honor, then you teach them, oh, but we don't want to do this. So you work from close and then from far. And he says, because you don't get to perfection in one moment. And you don't get from the far, the close to the far characteristics, the harder ones, when you're little, because... Uh, you don't get it so fast and you have to work on that slowly. It's a lifelong endeavor. But the beginning has to be in youth because in youth it's easier to mold ourselves because we're not yet fully formed and therefore, and if we just get used to doing it certain ways, then it'll become a part of who we are and then it won't uh, leave us. But when we're older, to change yourself is still a responsibility. If I never molded my character when young, I am still required to mold it when I get older. It's just much, much harder because we get set in our ways. And that's why we as parents and we as adults are required to try to educate our young. Um, and it's not... and, and so it's and, and this runs counter to many ideas in Western society where we think, well, youth is such a beautiful time. Let the kids run around. Let them be who they want to be. So Ridiona would take the opposite position. He said this is exactly the time when it's easiest for them to learn how to become the people they need to become as adults because their minds aren't fully formed and therefore we can shape those and we are supposed to. And uh, when they and 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 since they're growing anyway, it's a time of molding. Plus, Zion. The literal is the rich rule the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. We won't go into it now with Rediono because I don't want to take the time. We've spoken about his views on finances in general and you can apply them here. If somebody plants, he who sows injustice shall reap misfortune. His rod of wrath shall fail. Rediono says that if you come to make money in inappropriate ways, like by lending at interest, and you think you can do it because people are afraid of you, so you'll lose the money. He will fall, and he quotes a Chazal who say that somebody lends money with interest, so they eventually lose their possessions. The idea of loss of possessions is one that also, in our times, is worth facing and thinking about because we've seen it, and we tend not to think that it can happen. People get to be so wealthy, they think it won't happen, so they think, well... I can lend an interest, or I can break this financial rule or that financial rule. So that throws in here, Rabbi throws in here, that that's what the puzzle is telling you. That's not true. If you do things in the wrong way, it's eminently possible that you will get to the point that you even lose everything. And we've sadly, at least even just in the Madoff schedule, seen people who lost everything, really everything, and a, a huge uh, amounts of money. I remember a friend in the 1990s, I think it was, who was arguing that Chazal say a person should not give more than a fifth of their wealth to tzedakah, to charity, because they don't know what's going to happen. And that seems to be too overconfident about how much money you have and the guarantee that you can always have enough money. Say, well, I can, I'll, I have plenty of money, so I can give more than a fifth. So this friend of mine said, he thought in our time there are people with so much money that they could ignore that Chazal. So I don't know anymore if that's true. We've seen people of a huge, huge fortunes really losing, uh, sadly, I mean, sadly in worthy of our sympathy to some extent everything a person of a good eye of a generous man is blessed forgives his bread to the poor Rayona just points out that that's a, a characteristic of of Tov Ayin the characteristic of being a generous person is 
that you are unafraid to give to the poor, even if you yourself are poor, you quote the Chazal who say that even the poorest person who's getting stuck himself should try to give to others as well. So the idea of giving to others is part of just the general quality of generosity, having nothing to do with how much money you have in that. Expel the scoffer and contention, departs, quarrel and contumely. I don't know what contumely is, so I'm not sure that's even better for us from the JPS. Uh, cease. In other words, you won't have any way. The Kalon usually means embarrassment, and that's what Renyona understands. Uh, he just points out, Garish Leitz Vietimadon, he means Ishmadon, that the person who's creating all these fights so that a Leitz, a scoffer, or somebody who just likes making fun of things, is a person who will produce fighting. And so if you get rid of that person, so that's the question of when do we maintain our friendships with people? Everybody has their imperfections. And so therefore, to say, well, only sit around with perfect friends would be ridiculous because we all have our imperfections. But are there people with whom we should try not to associate or not to be friends? And there, Binyon is saying that, or the Pusik is saying that a Leitz is a person who you have to avoid. And one of the reasons to avoid it is because he always causes fights. That would be an example of a person to avoid. Or embarrassment or shame, meaning he always mocks people. And you, the wheel will come around and he'll mock you. And you don't want to be part of that or he'll mock people who you uh, care about. So you have to, I think, try to pick friends and people of ideally wisdom who are searching for your Hashem. And wisdom doesn't mean that they are smart. It means that they know that the goal of life is to search for the involvement with Hashem and the and the concern with serving God, and that's the best kind. But certainly, people who are generous, both of spirit in terms of sharing money and sharing uh, f- physical bounties, but also sharing a, a sense of friendship and a sense of love for each other. That a pure-hearted friend, his speech is gracious, he talks nicely, and he has the king for his companion, because Ohev Tzaharlev is, so Rabbi is an Ahava, you love your friend, because he's just done good things for you in the past. So you think that means, oh, you love him because he doesn't good friends for you. So Rabbi says, no, even though you don't think he's ever going to do anything good for you again. Meaning, it doesn't mean it's because he's done good things for you. It's because, oh, and then he says it straight out, or it's because he's a good person. So the having done good things for you has shown you his goodness, and then you love him for the goodness. And then he says, because any truthful person, any person who cares about goodness in life is supposed to love those who fear God, and that's the kinds of friends, the kinds of people we should be seeking to associate ourselves with. And we can just do a mental experiment, think about our friends, or our friends, people who we like because they're funny, who we like because they're kind, who we like because they're rich, or who we like because they are looking to serve God. I read a quote years ago, I think, by Milton Steinberg, but I don't know who wrote as Driven Lee. But I, it might not have been somebody else, but he said, when I was young, I cared about finding interesting people. And when I got older, I was interested in finding caring people. So here, not just caring, I think it would be a step further than that. There are people who are caring, but nothing about Hashem at all. And that's certainly better than people who are uncaring, but I don't think that, but I think that the highest level would be to find people who are caring out of a sense of godliness and wanting to be like God and wanting to, to get closer to God and shaping themselves. Um, and then your love of such a person will lead you to want to do the good of the person that you love. So then, that comes out of your lips, Rabbi Yonah quotes the Musarim, we'll do it twice in this paragraph, the books of, of ethics, and that in, when you have things in your heart, they will always work themselves out into how you speak. So that's that would then mean in reverse that how you speak is, is to some extent a good sign of how well you have shaped your heart or what's really in your heart. Um, and, and it only comes, he says, from a person who is uh, straight and good, has integrity. 
And he says it right after Garesh Leitz, because first you have to, he says, get rid of the negative people in your life, get rid of bad friends, and then after that, you look for good friends in a good society. So that is the way to shape our friendship aspect of our society. Pasuk Yud Bet, Einei Hashem, Natsrudad V'Yisaleif, Divrei Vogate, the eyes of God, as it were, Pasuk Yud Bet, the eyes of the Lord watch the wise man, he subverts the words of the treacherous. So that Hashem likes truth and knowledge and insight, and therefore, um, and when he, and when he calls somebody Yashar here, Rabbi Yonah goes out of his way to say, doesn't mean somebody who has already, has integrity, who already is uh, straight and true. It's even the person who loves integrity. So that's a, a first step. It's just the idea that we value it and we are interested in it, we're seeking it. That would be an important piece of developing ourselves. That the lazy person says, there's lions outside, I can't go out, I can't work. It is a pasuk that means to denigrate laziness, but Rabbi Yonah points out that it also tells you that your bad character traits will subvert your intellect. Because the atzeel, the lazy person, finds reasons to not do it. And this is a, a challenge in our time for sure, with to think about just the fact that I think something, even if I think about it carefully, doesn't always, isn't always going to mean that I really understood it properly and well because it will depend on the extent to which I have developed my character. Because if I have a bad character in some way, that bad character can lead me to make intellectual mistakes, make logical mistakes. So here too, it's not the at sale, is finding an excuse. For the at sale, the excuse seems right, seems true. Of course I can't go outside. Of course it's dangerous to go outside. A simple example would have been in the early 2000s when there was the Intifada and there were bombings, uh, sadly, in Yerushalayim. Many, many Jews, Orthodox Jews, observant Jews, Jews who seemed to care, Zionistic Jews who cared about Israel, would say to me clearly, of course I can't go to visit Israel now and do my usual touring of Israel because uh, I might get blown up. So that is an example of... Uh, I think, of wrong thinking. It, first of all, it violates the whole idea of Zerah that Rabbi Yonah had, that Hashem runs the world how Hashem wants it. You think you, you think if Hashem wants you to die, you can avoid it. So I don't say that it means you have to go into Ramallah and, and, or Janine and think that you won't get blown up because it's Zerah, but to, but it is an example of one's logic subverting on one's understanding of the way the world works and teaching one the wrong things. But they believe, they believed it. So it's the intellect in that case. It's not the fear. At least as they experience it. The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. He was doomed by the Lord, falls into it. Surbanyona has an, an idea here that's too late to talk about, it, but it's worth just throwing out there. He says, speaking to women will lead a person into sin, uh, like a deep pit. And therefore, somebody needs to stay away from that. So we take this as, a, I would think, as an anti-feminist kind of discussion. I would just note that I suspect Rabbi Yonah would say, and this may still be true today, that there are ways that women talk that men don't talk, just in the typical tendencies of men and women, not every woman, not every man. And that in the ways that women talk, there are things that are, that in the natural way of women talking, there are things that are inappropriate or that are just waste of time or whatever it may be. And Rabbi Yonah is saying that for a man to get involved in those is a mistake. I think he would think that for a woman to get involved in those is a mistake. So I'm not going to list any of those, but I think there are. I think that you could probably say the same thing about male conversation, but that's part of teaching men as Mishle has tried to, to improve themselves. But it's particularly true that if men then go into female conversation and adopt the ways of female conversation, whichever of those ways are negative and problematic, so that would be a mistake because then they're adding the challenges 
to the religious challenges that they have, uh, instead of just staying with their own flaws that they'd have to work on, they have to now adapt a whole new set of flaws that they have to then learn to get rid of. Pasuk Tedvav Ivelet Kishura Nar Shevet Musar Yarchikena Mimena. So, if folly settles in the heart of a lad, so we've spoken before about this idea, the rod of discipline will remove it by disciplining the child. You can teen it. You can uh, train it, train him. So even though you see a boy, a child, a girl, a little child with some deeply bad quality trait, the deeply bad characteristic, so um, you can you, you you don't have to give up. What you should do is you have to work. You have to find the right way, and we pointed out before. Everybody you have to start with the easy, start with the stuff that's more natural to them, and then you have to work slowly to try to build them up with the proper discipline, and so that they too can become wise and come to adopt the right ways of living. Pasuk design. So you don't give up on a child uh, because there are ways to. We've earlier said that with some people who are adults who are already set in their paths, it might not be worth your while to even try. But with the children, with the young, it's not true because there's always still time. There is still time to try to work and try to help them out. Oshek dal that to profit by withholding what is due to the poor is like making gifts to the rich. It's a pure loss, meaning the rich don't need your money. So they're not going to care that you gave them a gift. And you're withholding from the poor who did need the money. And by giving it to them, you could have had a great merit. Uh, incline you here, listen to the words of the sages, pay attention to my wisdom. I would just point out that Rabbi says that Mishnah here is trying to tell you, Hatos you have to pay a lot of attention because what I'm saying, Mishnah is telling us, is deep. And therefore, since it's deep, you're not going to get to them right away, and therefore you have to pay a lot of attention. You have to work at it, you have to work at understanding it. Also, I think another idea that many in the world today do not necessarily accept the idea that wisdom doesn't come all at once, isn't obvious, isn't intuitive. It takes acceptance of what others say, especially Mishle. It takes realizing there are others out there who are wiser than us and learning from them and just accepting their truths, working on them, and then growing within wisdom until we can also understand it. It is good that you store them inside you and that all of them be constantly on your lips, so the idea of it being inside of you and on your lips, we've seen before that if something is is well entrenched within you, then it will also be on your lips, and um, and if you entrench it inside of you, then it'll make it easier for you to act upon it, unless you forget them, because uh, the, what wise people do is they speak about these qualities, good qualities, all the time, it's always on their lips, and that will be a way for them to remember it and act upon it and stick with uh, with it. Pasig Yotet, the Yot, that you may put your trust in the Lord, I let you know today, yes, you, and indeed I would have you a threefold, Lord, Shalishim, the JPS isn't sure what the Shalishim means, but wise counsel, so all of the Midot, Rabbi Yona says, just about Yutet and Chav, all that I want to point out here, that he points out is, that all of them, everything that you're doing to build up is supposed to be getting you to Yirat, to fear of God. That's the point of the whole thing. And Bitachon, trust in God, is one of the highest qualities that will lead you, or that is part of, Yirat Achet, the fear of sin, is that you trust in God. And that's what Yutet and Chav are telling us. We have to always make sure to learn these lessons, and then he, and this is written in a threefold to tell you ways of paths of truth, the deepest truths, so you can return sayings of truth to those who sent you, meaning to Hashem, and do what Hashem 
once. Pasuk Chav Bet Al Tigzol Dal Kidalhu Gal Tidake Ani I don't steal from a poor person because he's poor and defenseless, and don't depress, don't oppress a poor person in the gates of the city. Because Hashem is going to fight their battles and will um, and despoil those who despoil them of life is what the JPS has. Meaning Hashem will turn it around on them. Rabbi points out that even though you can, uh, because the poor people don't have really anybody to save them. Don't do it. You're not allowed to do it. And that Hashem will come and fight for them because, and this is an interesting thing, there is a famous distinction that the Gemara and Baba Kama draws between a Ganav and a Gazlan. A Ganav is somebody who steals secretly and a Gazlan steals openly. And the Gemara says to some extent we think that the Gazlan is somewhat better than the Ganav and that's why he gets a lesser punishment, financial punishment in the Torah. How is a Gazlan better? A Gazlan at least doesn't care about anybody. He steals publicly and openly. He doesn't care about people seeing him and doesn't care about God seeing him but the Ganav does it in secret he cares about people getting seeing him he cares about getting caught by people and yet he should have known that Hashem sees him so Rabbi says a similar truth is being extended by Mishnah here in terms of stealing from the poor somebody steals from the rich so the rich are powerful so the person doesn't care about Hashem right it doesn't care about society when he steals from the poor it's because society won't protect the poor as much so in doing so it's not only that you steal and it's not only that you oppress people who don't deserve to be oppressed but you demonstrate in a similar way to the Ganav that your real concern is people and what they'll think of you and you don't care about Hashem and therefore Hashem will step in to defend them. Rinyono sees this as a warning about anger people of temper are just very dangerous people. So if you have a Baal you can't become good friends with them because it'll rebound against you because they'll get angry. He says a few things. You'll learn to get angry from them because you'll learn... Um, You'll, you'll learn that, first of all, you'll think that it's okay, because he gets angry all the time. If he gets angry, why shouldn't you get angry? Also, that he will, uh, oppress you, he will, he'll be get angry with you, and you'll have to bear that a lot. Now, so he notes that, again, these Sefer Musarim say that if you want to get friendly with somebody, you should first get them angry to see what they're gonna do. And if, while they're angry, they will still admit to truth, and they won't, uh, warp the truth, then you get can 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 be friend with them. There was when I was at least you know years ago when I was dating. There was a story of a, a young woman on a date who had a red light, with, and took the keys to the car, turned off the car, took the keys as the the, the boy who was driving her took uh, was sitting there, and he the light would turn green, all the cars behind him would be honking him, and he'd be trying to get the keys out of her, and she would say, "Oh, I'm just testing whether you're angry." So it wasn't a recommended strategy back then, but that's what Rini is sort of saying that if you're thinking about getting getting friendly with somebody, you should. Try to make sure that you know what their temper is like because if they have a bad temper, it's a bad idea. It teaches you, it will warp your own midot because the proper threshold of anger will change in your mind. Meaning, if you're used to a guy, if you're used to friends who blow up like crazy and curse and speak vulgarly in, in their anger and go into tirades, then if you get angry and do something that's really inappropriate, yet not nearly as inappropriate as that, you'll think, well, that's okay. So that's what, and then when an Ishkemot is a person of even greater temper, even worse anger, and there it says you shouldn't even, uh, associate with him at all, let alone befriend him. So, Pazak Chafhei Pent Elaf Orechotav Elakach Demokeshna Shechot is what I was saying before, you'll adopt his characteristics and that will be a trap, a snare for your own soul, because, um, 
he'll get you angry by when you're friends with him. The second one is, like I said, it'll, it'll teach you that it's okay. And even if it doesn't teach you that it's okay, you also won't be as upset by it. You'll be more used to it. You'll say, oh yeah, that's what he does. Instead of realizing this is a deep, deep wrong, and you'll come to accept it. You'll come to uh, excuse it to some extent. And that's a mistake Rabiniona is saying, and that will therefore teach you wrong midot, wrong characteristics. Al don't be among those who give their hand to to guarantee loans. And the JPS has it. Do not be one of those who give their hand who stand surety for debts. This is an idea we've seen many times before uh, that Mishle is very worried about that whole idea. Rabbi has generally understood it to mean that many people give guarantees for debts and they don't think they're going to ever have to pay. So when it comes time that the credits or the original borrower defaults on the loan and then they have to pay, they get very angry about it. So here he understands it to mean even if not that way, even if you think that, you're going to pay. You just Your decision is you want to guarantee the loan and you're willing to pay even if um, you're willing to pay even if the other guy defaults on the loan. So Benyona says you still shouldn't do it what Mishra is telling you. If you don't have money to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? And so the only reason I stress it here, we've seen this, we've seen this whole idea of not being an Arav many times in Mishle before, but it's just here because Rabbi Yonah says, relevant to issues we've had in the Perek, that one of the reasons why you think that you can guarantee the loan is that you're so sure that you'll be wealthy when the time comes to pay back the loan. But Rabbi Yonah says a person should never be so, so confident of the wealth. So he's not saying not to be an Arav at all. There's a whole value in being an Arav for people's loans and, and it's a form of stock, it's a form of charity and there's uh, you definitely need to nuance, even Rabbi Yonah's view, you need to nuance this whole idea. But the underlying idea that we shouldn't be so trusting of our wealth, so sure of our wealth, that's a theme that Rabbi has had in this parak. Don't encroach the boundaries of old that your forefathers did. This is a famous pasuk. It is one of the sources that came for the whole idea of hasagat gvul, of not stepping in on other people's businesses, not stepping in on other people's properties. So Rabbi says, you don't need it for its literal meaning because that's a pasuk on the Torah that you're not allowed to do those things. That you're not allowed to do hasakah. Well, it's an isur do right. That's a prohibition at the Torah level. So it's talking about here. Don't al tishanem min hamin hagim hatovim from the good customs. By which he means derabanas and issues derabanas. And I don't think that you can change things and know how to better do it. That the avot that the earlier ones made to try to train us and keep us on the right path. Don't think that you're going to change it. You're going to do better than them. Pasuk chavtel chazite ish mahir b'melachto lifnei melachim yitzav ba'yitzav if you see a person who is uh, fast in his labors, I mean, Yonah says this is discussed talking about zurizut, the quality of assiduousness, of alacrity, of doing your work quickly, of caring about it quickly and carefully. And that person will eventually uh, stand before kings because that's what kings want. Kings want people like that who work hard and work carefully and are, are, are produce quality work. And then he says, and it comes right after the previous pasuk, of olam, because that's the point of these gedarim. In other words, olam, the previous pasuk was, you should keep gzerot rabbanan, you should value them, you should understand that they are there uh, for these kinds of purposes. And he says, this is, your purpose is very much like the purpose of this pasuk, of zrizut, of recognizing the way to make get work done properly and appropriately. Because what the point of gzerah is, is that if you don't keep this, you will learn to violate even more serious Prohibition. So when Chazal set up a protective prohibition, you should keep that as a form of zizud, as a form of guarding yourself and keeping yourself from doing 
the wrong thing, and that will be the quality of zizut that will eventually get you to stand before malachim in other endeavors, and in this case, will protect you from serving God improperly and inappropriately. So that is our parak. Some parts of it were rushed, and it's a very rich parak, but major themes, issues of money, and how much of our money comes from our own efforts, how much of our money comes from God's decisions, as it were, as to who will get the money, what we do with the money, and how we act with the money, how we shape our characters, what the nature of wisdom is, the kinds of people that we should associate with. So these are themes that Vinyon has had throughout Mishlei, and they come out very strongly in today's parak as well. Have a great day.